The statements expressed in the following program are those of the speaker. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the sponsor, the hosts, and or Olas Media. Olas Media. My authority is born on 40 years of experience uh, in the system. The political mess that we have today, where people don't, they stop talking to each other. There's always a bad apple. There's bad lawyers, there's bad doctors, there's bad nurses, there's bad uh, auto mechanics. There are things that the public isn't aware of that they, the public needs to know. Organized crime, it's cartels, it's gangs, and it's a serious problem. Elections ought to be decided when the most people vote. Welcome to the Politic Daily with Dan Howe. This is just going to be an episode of a different sort. So Stefan and I are both at the Independent Voter Project Conference and just met a couple of days ago. And since we're here with Olas Media and Steph is the host of the Reason 55 podcast, we're doing a bit of a crossover episode to talk about government, politics, where we come from. And, and I'm going to hear from him, listeners, about how, how Steph connects with the reform movement. And I think Steph... You're going to talk to me about me and how I uh, got into this role as well. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to finding out more about Nanner and uh, especially my home, <laughs> my, my place of birth, Oklahoma, how you engaged there and how this movement began. So I'm really excited about this opportunity to talk to you, Andy. Well, thanks. I, I am as well. And so I'm going to start by talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so I, you know, I've learned a little bit about you and, and read about you some online. You got your start, uh, you were active duty Marine Corps, yes. and then got into corrections. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey that led to you being connected with, with IVP? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it was born somewhat out of frustration, honestly, with the dysfunction of a system that was supposedly serving people. So I engaged with the union, found out very quickly that the thing that I did not understand about how our society functions and operates is this invisible component to most citizens is politics, mm -hmm. is the legislature. And through the union, I was placed in a position to learn, observe, and basically cut my teeth uh, as first, uh, first watching our president and, vice pre and executive vice president engage with politicians. And actually one of the co-founders of IVP, uh, Steve Peace, was my first introduction to the legislature. I had the opportunity to go witness a Senate hearing, a uh, rules hearing, and he was the chair. And he was sitting on the dais talking with, at that time, it was the Department of Corrections, and he was the, uh, the secretary of the umbrella organization, YACA. He was sitting at, at, you know, before them testifying, and Steve said something to the effect, at, probing the question of, are you passionate about what you do? Are you seem, are you seem disinterested or something to that effect? And he must have given an answer that Steve found truly <laughs> distasteful because Steve said he leaned forward on the dais 
and looked down and he said, if you don't wake up every morning with a burning passion for what you do, you need to find another job as a, as a Marine, <laughs> as a young man that was looking for that, you know, that, that sense of purpose, that sense of, 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 of service, man, that lit a fire in me. Yeah. And, and that's what I began to realize that politics and the legislature have this, um, this connection that we just as general, as the general populace, we don't get to see. So fast forward, <laughs> I end up being the director of legislative affairs for, for a few years, cutting my teeth. Then I end up being the director of governmental affairs. And during that time, I saw specifically, you know, the years of budget gridlock of bills that just made sense that couldn't get across the plate. And it was this partisanship. It was this divide that no one was willing to, to bridge. And then Dan and Steve um, worked with our, our president at the time and, and Senator Abel Maldonado to introduce the open primary. And which which has changed the face of California oh politics. Oh my God! Yeah, it, it was like two thousand. Don't <laughs> don't quote me on this. I'm not a hundred percent certain. It was either nine or ten that all of a sudden this you just it, it's this Gordian knot that just starts to just unravel, and and thereafter, and I think we saw reform in the the budget. Uh, the two-thirds majority change and and everything after that just started kind of until we ran into Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and here's the problem. Here was the problem for us from the association's perspective was that during those gridlock years when the budget was in dysfunction and an absolute disarray, the first line item the first of the three big, big general fund um, uh, allocations that would get cut was corrections. Mm -hmm. And it would be an unallocated cut, which meant that the, the agency had the ability to determine what was going to be sacrificed. And it was nine out of, nine out of 10 times, it was two things. It was programming for the inmates and officers. And you reduce either one of those components and you create, and especially during those times of overcrowding, right. you create a, a scenario that's untenable. Yeah. And, you know, guys, as the, as the Bible says, the idle hands <laughs> and, and guys, they, you know, they need, we all need purpose. We all need something to be engaged with. And when you're sitting in a cell and there's nothing to do but focus on that officer, that's a bad situation. It's a bad combination. So I think this is really an interesting conversation, Stefan, because you have already connected electoral reform, right? Open primary specifically 
not just to electoral outcomes, which I think is often the focus of this, but you've connected it to policy outcomes, which yes. is the real meat and potatoes of the business, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, personally, as, as listeners probably know, like I live in Oklahoma and you are from Oklahoma and corrections is something that our states have in common. Yes. And back then, at the time you were talking, when you were with the uh, the corrections worker union, the I think the overcrowding in California was like roughly 200%, right? You had twice as many inmates as capacity. Yeah. And in Oklahoma for the last, I don't know, decade or so, we have incarcerated more people per capita than any other country in the entire world, including Saudi Arabia, Iran, places like that. And we've often operated at 130 to 150% capacity and at only 60 or 70% staffing, right? Yes. So way too many inmates, way not enough staff. Absolutely. And often it's the same thing, right? We have a, and uh, in, in my state, it's a, a single party control. Um, and it has been kind of forever. It used to be Democrats for about 100 years, and mm -hmm. now it's Republicans. And once they get that power and that control, they can shape the system, Absolutely. the structure, yes. to ensure that they maintain that power. And then... And then it becomes about their power and not about the needs of the state. Exactly. And I think that was one of the things that we saw, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that we saw specifically was that it was about the maintenance of control, the maintenance of the system, as opposed to the service to the public, as opposed to the service to the people that these systems were designed to serve. And... It, it, it leaves you as a, as a governmental operative frustrated in presenting good policy ideas that, that are designed to make this system serve people better. But because of the partisanship, you can't take it to someone that may be an actual ally. Back then, you know, we had a... I, I don't know if I should call out any, <laughs> any specific legislators' names, but we had a large faction on one side that was wholly, they claimed to be pro-labor, but they were absolutely anti-law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't take the concept to them. And then the the pro-law enforcement guys were anti-labor. <laughs> and, and we were stuck in the middle. So that that necessity, I, I think that was what spurred the concept of or the recognition of the need for that middle ground, those moderates, those independent individuals that were willing to stand by their own principles, regardless of party direction. Um, and that was the that's what led our association to joining to Steve joining IVP um, in, in this effort. So yeah. that's interesting. I mean, I you know we know from polling and other research that most voters around the country are in that middle, right? That middle fifty percent or two thirds of folks who honestly don't want to think about politics right. because they want it to work. Yes, but when they do think about it. It's this stuff we see on TV, it's these commercials, it's the oh. partisan gridlock. And the problem with that then is that people see folks on both ends for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. Folks who are willing to, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face and nothing gets done. Yes. And then, you know, here at this conference, right, this week, uh, as we've sat in several different roundtable discussions, 
um, with folks from different industries talking with um, mostly California lawmakers and, and explaining to them, like, here's the policy gap that we need filled. We need your help. Yes. And, and often, you know, they, you hear the feedback about why that can't happen. <laughs> and you can see the eye, everyone's faces be like, that's not a real reason, right? right, right. The real reason is willpower. It's lack of passion. Absolutely. It's a focus on something else, on, on re-election probably that hasn't come up. But knowing politicians, like that's always top of mind, right? Yes. How is this going to affect my ability to get reelected. Absolutely. Which is very different, right? Then yes. how is this going to affect the actual lives and well-being of my, of my constituent base? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you know, it's it, it that's why I think I am so thankful for this conference, for IVP, for Nanner is that it's bringing it, it I I think it creates space for legislators to 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 develop or to restore that boldness that that individuality i think we've actually seen some of that here while we were <laughs> and it's not surprising but it's reaffirming to see a legislator push back and to say no but with a reasoned understanding that that does not serve the constituent base mm -hmm. that that yeah it's special interest i hear what you're saying but how does that serve the people that you're supposed to be serving the people that i am serving how does that accomplish that right yeah i mean i i think for me right this is this is the stuff that got me into this world like i you know i my backgrounds in mental health and public health and I, I did mayor. I was a, I'm a licensed now counselor. See, this is what I want to talk to you about. <laughs> and I think my listeners have probably heard this story, but I, so my background's in mental health. I'm a licensed counselor and I did marriage counseling for 10 or 12 years and really enjoyed it. And as it turns out, uh, working in politics, including nonpartisan reform, right, is a lot like marriage counseling. Yes. You've got two parties who, political parties or people or what have you, that aren't getting along, but mm -hmm. need to for, you know, the good of the family or Absolutely. however you want to frame it. Yes. And, and it's a lot of relationship building. It's a lot of, it should be a lot of listening, a lot of um, making sure that you are not just hearing, but understanding the other person's perspective mm -hmm. and then finding out, identifying the common ground, identifying the areas of agreement and building from that rather than starting on the flip side of areas of disagreement and, and cutting off territory along the absolutely, way. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let me ask you, how does Nanner capture that communal good? How, how, do, how, do you, how does Nanner purport to, to, to serve that interest? What, what's, what, well, let's, look, let's back up for a second. <laughs> What is Nanner? I, and it, because You're I know I don't know. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Nanner's the National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers. We are uh, essentially a trade association for the many, many, many groups who are working on 
we call structural electoral reform or democracy reform. So it's uh, policy outcomes like open primaries, like ranked choice voting or approval voting, uh, campaign finance reform, the things that change the system to make it more fair, mm-hmm. more representative, more accessible, uh, and change the incentives that politicians have, not just you know, not just trying to get reelected by appealing to the most fervent of their party base, right. but by appealing to that very broad middle that we mentioned earlier. Okay, then, man, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, what's what's the most difficult part of that mission? Yeah. Um, so I think it's honestly, well, education is probably it, right? A lot of these ideas feel new to a lot of voters. Mm -hmm. They're not new. I mean, some of them have been talked about for decades. Many of them are actively used and have been used in other countries for decades, right? Really? Australia has used ranked choice voting for years. Um, The systems in Ireland, I mean, many European countries, this is not new. It is just new to us in America. And we, as the oldest democracy in the world, is still a a pretty young government, right? We've only been around 244-ish years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for us to have to swallow, I think, a little bit of our collective pride in America being the oldest democracy, the ones that brought democracy to the world, and be like, we we did, but we might not have got everything right. And there is room for improvement, right? It's not, maybe that's a better framing. We didn't do it wrong. We did it, and there is ways to improve it, right? And that's that's what Nanner is all about, is helping win reforms that improve and strengthen democracy for the next 240 years. Oh, that, man, that's fantastic. Well, let me ask, in, in that establishment of the democracy, would it be fair to say there's a level of stagnation that occurred? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, and you see this in how we how some interpret our foundational documents, right? The ways we talk about the Constitution. Is it a living document or is it etched in stone and right. can only be interpreted in, a, in its original intent? Mm-hmm. Well, like the world is very different, Stefan, right? Absolutely. There were only 13 colonies. They could not imagine that the population of Harris County, <laughs> Texas, right, where Houston is located, that that county alone would be the fifth most populous state in the whole country, right? Oh, First of wow. all, they didn't know Texas existed. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Let alone California. Right. <laughs> so some of those details uh, were, were just unknown at the time that we right. passed or that we adopted the Constitution and we framed our government. Mm-hmm. We know them now, and I think we have a, a responsibility to go back and to again, like tweak, improve, build upon that foundation yes. to make a more robust um, a democracy moving forward. Okay. And to answer, I'll go back and answer your question a minute ago. I think that the way that Nanner does this mm-hmm. is by, we do three things. We convene, we connect, and we catalyze is how we, we frame this. So in the convening is how Nanner got started. It was these organizations, all of our members, or not all of them back then, you know, 10 or 12 of them at the beginning who got together and had a bit of a summit and said, you know what, we are stronger together. Absolutely. We may not agree on every policy, but we agree that we need to reform the system and that there are multiple ways to do that. And when we find ways to work together, 
we are more successful because many hands make light work. Absolutely. And we've got to reach voters throughout the country, city by city, state by state, uh, however we get there to help open their eyes, to educate them on the possibilities that are there. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, it starts, it's both a top down and a bottom up approach. Uh, So here in just a few weeks, we're going to have our annual summit for this year. And, uh, and we are, you know, getting our members together and other attendees to have those high level conversations about, okay, we just finished an election. What are the next two years, four years, 10 years, 12 years look like? How do we chart that path towards, you know, a, a stronger, more resilient democracy? Wow, man. Well, let me ask, how could my listeners be engaged? Is, is there a space for them to, to reach out, to connect, and, and become active in this, or even just to find more information about it? Yeah, of course. So you can always go to our website. It's nonpartisanreformers.org. Uh, and on there it has a list of all of our members and you know, we exist for our member organization. So we don't, we don't have like individual people members. So yes. Stefan, I'm sorry. I mean, you, <laughs> you could join with a, a couple of folks, but really like our value add is to organizations, helping them scale, helping them get connected and helping them catalyze their, their policy outcomes into yes. real life uh, adoption. And so you can go to our website, Look for members that are in your area or topics that you're interested in. If you're not sure, feel free to contact us and we'll help get you connected with the folks on the ground in your state or city. Uh, and if there's not somebody, by some chance, so there's, I mean, there's 500 you know, cities that are working on some of these projects. If there's not someone where you live, maybe that's you. Maybe you there we go. are the one that, you know, Steve Peace needs to yell at and say, <laughs> get your passion behind you. There you go, brother. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Stefan, for, for my listeners who are interested in your work and your podcast, how can they find out more about you? Um, you can reach me at stephb at reason55.com. Uh, I can be, our, our, both of our podcasts can be found on olismedia.com. Uh, and we're, look, our, our, the opportunities to engage are always open to new and interesting and potentially invisible actors and entities is what we're trying to highlight with Reason 55. So if they know of someone that's doing something phenomenal but that's under-recognized, please share it with us. As I said, Steph B at Reason55.com. Super. Steph, it's been a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for joining me. Oh, no. And thank you for joining me as well, Andy. I had a great time and looking forward to connecting more and learning more about nonpartisan reform. This episode was produced by Olas Media Podcast Network in San Diego, California, with Elia Ramos as creative director. Jessica Garcia as project manager, JC Polk as executive producer, Lina Alvarez as associate producer, and Chad Pease as president and co-founder. <laughs>